0: Welcome to Live with Taff featuring Canada's original inner trainer, Brian Pataffi.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back this week to Live with Taff. And if you see a smile a mile wide on my face, you're going to figure out why over the next 60 minutes. We have four of the greatest guys that I have ever met in my life. And these guys are hockey lifers, spent their whole entire career working in a locker room, Part of the support staff, athletic trainers, equipment guys, and we have a fun bunch. And I am just, we got to get right into it because we're going to try and pack everything into this next hour. So let me introduce to you uh, the godfather of uh, all the athletic trainers, equipment managers, the man that we all aspire to be from the Los Angeles Kings, Pete Demers. Pete, thanks for coming on, man. Happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you, Pete, and we want to hear uh, we want to hear some of your stories. And a guy who is just kind of picking up uh, the rear and coming in and, and has been in the game probably as long as you have. From, from the time he was about 17 years old, uh, Ontario guy, lives in Kansas City now, former Pittsburgh Penguin Equipment Manager, New York Islander Equipment Manager, and he had a couple of stints
0: in the minors. I want to welcome my friend John Doolin. Dooley, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Patap. But now I got to move because the witness protection program. You just told me where told everybody where I am.
1: Well, well, there we go. Well, maybe you and I can switch uh, switch spots. And then this next guy, I met him back in 1988. He was the head trainer in Fort Wayne, Indiana. They were one of the independent clubs in the uh, IHL, and I kind of. Uh, thought I was the talk of the walk. Uh, I was with the Calgary Flames Farm Team in Salt Lake City. This guy called me up when we were flying in. He said, hey, I'll pick you up at the hotel and take you to dinner. I figured, okay, what's this young guy want to talk about? Well, he shows up in front in a candy apple red Corvette, and I no longer even wondered... (laughs) What I could get for a dozen six, this guy had it made. Steve Wismuth, thanks for coming on, Swiss. Thanks for that. I'll tell you what, we got a lot to talk about from your time in Fort Wayne through to Phoenix into junior hockey. And uh, and and actually, you finished it out in Fort Wayne. You put a lot of time on the bench. And Swiss, I'm I'm uh, I'm just loving this, and I want to hear about your time with the blues, too. Now, this next guy, he is Um, a fixture in the city of Hershey. He has been there forever. I think they built the first arena around him. Um, He left for two years to uh, put his hand, try his hand in the National League. He worked in the uh, Philadelphia Flyers uh, with, with their organization in Philly as an equipment manager. But you know what, two years later, he came back to Hershey and he's got he's got a million stories and we're going to get in as many as we can. Dan Beaker stuck. Beaker, thanks for coming on, buddy.
2: Absolutely. The mayor the party started. Let's get the party started.
1: OK, well, we're happy to have you all. So, Beaker, I've got you. I've got you on the screen. But this this uh, uh, question is, is for all four of you. We'll start out with Beaker in depth as you can.
2: What got you started in the game of hockey? Uh, you know what? My mom worked at the Hotel Hershey on top of the hill, and my cousin um, asked me to come down and help for the visiting team in Hershey. And uh, so she dropped me off from the hotel, uh, went on her way to work at four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I worked for the New Haven Nighthawks, and Lindsay Middlesbrook was the goalie that night. Um, at the end of the game, he gave me a stick for helping out. i man hey, this ain't a bad gig. I get a stick. It's better than a stick of gum. <laughs> and uh, you know what? A few games later, Bobby Tren, the trainer for the Bears, asked me to come back and uh, and help for uh, the Bears. And I was 12 years old. And uh, and since then, you know what? I, I, I was very fortunate and being at the right time and uh, helping training out. I became assistant trainer with Slogo, Doug Shear in 82 as a uh, Frank Mather, our old GM. Uh, made it a work study program for me. And uh, I was so fortunate. He made, he gave me uh, whatever it was, five bucks an hour, if that. Um, And uh, that's where I started. And then I became, of course, not only the assistant trainer for the bears, I was very fortunate to go and work for the flyers. They went and worked with the, uh, I worked for the flyers and we played against Edmonton Oilers and uh, I got to meet the Oilers and the boys there. And, uh, and then Clarky Bob Clark asked me to go back to Hershey because they were taking over in Hershey and, uh, in 85. And I became, uh, I came back here and worked for the Bears ever since. And three years ago, I became the team uh, manager for team wellness and hockey affairs. Um, hockey affairs, it's better than player affairs because I've seen a lot of player affairs during my time. So I'm glad it's <laughs> hockey affairs. And this is where I'm at today. And you know what, um, from here, born here, um, I'm very fortunate. I'm like Oompa-Loompa from, uh, you know, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? Um, it's great. It's the sweetest place on earth, and a lot of rich tradition, and uh, a lot of very much a rich culture, and uh, you know, I, I'm trying to pass along with the new generation of, of people here. So I'm very fortunate. Well, you 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 said
1: it really well, beak and I will tell you as, as somebody who spent. Uh, myself, most of my career in the minors, there was never a better atmosphere than a Saturday night in the Hershey Park Arena. So, uh, and we'll touch on that a little bit more. I want to jump to the way to the other side of the screen to the godfather, Pete Demers. Pete, you're a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame. You uh, you were pretty well instrumental along with Buzz Deschamps of uh, getting our society going. And you were that guy with Buzz that turned our winter jobs into a career with all the work you did with the national league and with the minor leagues and everything else can you tell our listeners what got you started in the game how long you were at it and uh just pretty much like beat did
3: well it was way back when i was a little kid i was lived a few blocks from the, the old rhode island auditorium and uh i'd go down there and help out sweep the stands for ice time and um, help out in the visiting room with the stick boy. I was 12 years old. I was assistant stick boy for the visiting team. And when the teams would come in, I would go and help them hang their gear. In fact, be talking about uh, Hershey, Scotty Alexander, he's, he's been to my house. My mother fed him a dinner several times uh, over the years. And uh, and so I worked in, in uh, Hanging, hanging out with uh, all the uh, uh, trainers and equipment guys for, it was only one trainer actually at the time, those times, but uh, anyway, I went in the Air Force after high school and uh, get out of the Air Force. I went to work at uh, Quonset Point Naval Air Station as a mechanic, and uh, but then there was a job for, with the Rhode Island Reds as the uh, assistant trainer, so... I, I t- quit my government job, which I could have stayed with for life, but my love of hockey. I went to work for the Rhode Island Reds uh, under George Army, uh, so well-known trainer. Uh, taught me all, everything I needed to know. Uh, was able to work for five years and uh, then get grandfathered a certification for the NATA. And then uh, I went to Columbus for a season and uh, as a head trainer, and then to Springfield, and uh, anyway, then to LA, 34 years, but uh, actually 41-year hockey career and uh, as an athletic trainer. It was fun to go to work every day.
2: Well, Pete, uh, it absolutely. And I an, interrupt here, Brian, real quick? I, I just want to say I'm honored, and of course, having Pete here, because you know what? He's kind of one of those guys you look up to back in the day, right? And uh, old-school guy. And uh, you know, when Pete started, of course, the uh, the Dead Sea was only sick. So he's <laughs> been here a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you never fail to disappoint
1: that uh, <laughs> beaker. But uh, Pete, uh, you know what? Uh, Arguably, you played with or you worked with one of the greatest players uh, in uh, in the game of hockey and Wayne Gretzky. And a little bit later in the show, I want to come back and I want you to tell us, you know, how all of that uh, changed the face of the la kings back then when mr McNall owned the team and and uh and he made that big move with edmonton we had barry stafford on months ago and i heard his side of it from edmonton and his side was like he lost somebody somebody took his best friend and they stole his bike while they were at it and, I, and later in the show i want to hear hear your side of it right now we're going to jump over to john Doolan and Dooley. uh long time in the game i got to follow you actually into Erie, <laughs> Pennsylvania, back in 1977, when uh, 76, 77, yeah. when you left to go to the Pittsburgh Penguins. So why don't you tell us about how you got into the game and, and that big jump you, you made from the North American League, where they were filming Slapshot, to the NHL.
0: Well, like most kids my age growing up in Ontario, the bug hit you when you were about five or six years old. Then a few years later, my father was transferred down to Pittsburgh with a steel company, and it was my, I want to say my junior year of high school, the Penguins had a uh, giveaway night, and I won a trip to training camp, and I wanted to be in the game. But at 5'8", 135 pounds, playing, it wasn't going to make it. So go to training camp, I know the coach, I know some of the players from working with their kids at the local rink jump on the bus with him go to Oshawa and I meet one of our favorite people ever Jimmy Pickard God rest his soul and I was 17 he was 19 and I said to myself well if he can do it, I can following year Kenny Carson needed an assistant trainer I was on the right street corner at the right time and away we went spent three years in Pittsburgh went back to school and then Actually, when I left Erie, that was my second stint because uh, in Pittsburgh because Kenny uh, Carson took the, the job at the Blue Jays. So he has the uh, notoriety of being the first trainer for the Pittsburgh Penguins and the first trainer for the Toronto Blue Jays. So it was in Pittsburgh a total of 14 years. Uh, management changes, we've all been through that story, except for Beaker and Peter. So I guess three out of five is not bad. Um uh, and Mr. Torrey through knowing Mr. Torrey through people in Pittsburgh and through Pick. When Pick decided to retire, Mr. Torrey gave me a shout and said, Do you want to come to the island? And went there for six years, still another change in management. And then, you know, I worked my way down through the miners and at 60 said, Okay, this is enough of this.
1: <laughs> well, oh, uh, I'll tell you what, uh, Duels, I know that uh, when you ended up in the uh in the ECHL out in Bakersfield, you brought credibility uh, to the league. Having somebody like you, yourself in the league brought it credibility. So I know that uh, you know uh, when you when you hit that golden age of sixty, um, and you did uh, you did pack it in. I don't think things that had been the same down there since. And I know now they've uh, jumped up a league into the American League and. Things are a little different there, but uh, I remember some of the things uh, seeing you at the meetings and some of the ideas you came up with—barcoding equipment and stuff like that. Things that 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 the everyday layman doesn't see what it, what an equipment manager does. Uh, you know, one of the funny questions that a, that a kid asked me one time. I'm on the end of the bench in uh, in Ottawa when I was with the junior team the uh, the first time, and he said, "Excuse me, sir," and I said, "Yeah." He goes. Uh, where do you work that you get this all this time off that you can travel with the team here and there? And, and, you know, and, and, uh, Hey, great question, kid, but <laughs> right here, you know, but, uh, you don't want to go to this next guy. And, and, uh, he, a lot a little like started in his hometown and, uh, and then he had quite the journey and a um, couple of rough patches a- along the way. But, uh, with, with, uh, injuries and things like that, but you know what, what he's just, it's kind of like, he gets up, he gets knocked to the mat, gets up, dust himself off and he gets boxing again. Steve Wisman, Hey, thanks for coming on Swiss. And, uh, why don't you uh, kind of give us a, the uh, close notes version of uh, your career, where it started, why it started and where it went to. I, uh,
4: I started acting in Fort Wayne in, uh, it was like a junior C team. Got cut from that team, and then I still wanted to be a part of the part of the action. So I said, you know, hey, can I work with the team? I, you know, just started off with water bottles, traveling with them, just to, you know, locally through mid through the Midwest, and uh, that took off. And then I became a stick boy in Fort Wayne, and uh, through Fort Wayne, uh, after that. I went to uh, the USHL in Madison, Wisconsin. They were starting a new expansion team. Actually, Bob Souter was the coach of that team. And Scott Owens was the general manager. Was there for a year and a half and then uh, went back to Fort Wayne. Got hired as the head guy. That was back in the days, Pete and John. They know it was a one-man band. You did both. And spent four years there. And then started the ihl tour with uh then i went on to phoenix was in vegas you know but i was also known as a grim reaper of the ihl because <laughs> every team i worked for went out of business so i was very good at end of season auctions
1: so <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: well i'll tell you what uh that uh, um, you know, we used to call Jim Riggs uh, the Grim Reaper of uh, minor pro hockey because every team he ended up being the uh, chief financial officer for ended up going out of business. But uh, that—that's for another show. But uh, hey, uh, uh, hold on there, Swiss. I got another question for you. And we're gonna yeah. throw it to the other guys too. But just to show, uh, you know, who's who's kind of tuned in today, Mike Caron, uh, former trainer with the Erie Blades or Erie Blades uh Maine nordiques new haven nighthawks is tuning in he says hello mike is uh retired now tom thornbury one of your favorites there Dooley uh in the pittsburgh organization is tuning in he does every week and when i see brenda parish roof we know that terry's sitting there with her and uh and watching this too so uh hello to all of them and uh and uh thanks for tuning in and uh uh swiss well i got you uh Well, I got you on the screen. If you didn't have a career in hockey, what were your aspirations growing up? Uh,
4: You know, when I was younger, I worked my my mom and stepdad had a filling station. So I was pumping gas, started turning wrenches there, was into that. But then when I worked in Fort Wayne back in the old days, you only got paid a week before the season and a week after. So you had to find summer employment. And I actually, I worked at a uh, funeral home back in Fort Wayne back there so but I've, I've always wanted to be in the funeral business and as of today I
1: am so well you're you're uh, and and uh, so you, you caught me off guard though Swiss I didn't realize people are dying it. to
0: see him Taff. yeah that okay. people are dying to see him <laughs>
1: yes they are well so, well and you're
4: best, and you're back part part, that. Though, when I go to work, nobody asked me for anything. And right? if it was hockey, everybody wanted everything. <laughs>
1: if they do, Swiss, run, run. Yeah. Okay, Dooley. Um, no. uh, you, uh, again, you started young. You did a great story and everything else. But what what if you didn't have the career in hockey? What what were you uh, what were you gonna be? What what did you wanna be?
0: <laughs> Rich. <laughs> Yeah, I would have. Unfortunately, I had probably been on that wall in Washington because I was one A in the draft, and I'd have probably been in a in a rice paddy in Nam. And as my brother, who spent a tour in Nam, said, "You'll be a grunt and you'll get your ass shot off." So, fortunately, the things worked out the way they did, or I'd have been in a MIA or KIA. Okay, and uh, and so Baker.
1: Living in Hershey, uh, were you gonna kind of follow into uh, going into the factory like everybody else did there? If if you didn't uh,
2: go into hockey, or did you? Did you have uh, other goals? Uh, Absolutely not on the uh, the Hershey Company. You know what? Um, My goal would have been, I would have loved. I love cooking, right? I would have been a chef. Um, That's one thing um, I love doing. I love pleasing people. I love cooking at home and uh, bringing people over and. And making a lot of food right and making sure people leave happy and uh it's it's an, it also absolutely goes good with wine and and booze so it's uh i've definitely been a, a cook i've been a chef somewhere
1: okay i should so have been people,
2: a salesman too uh, what's that i should have been a salesman Oh, well, you are a salesman
1: Beak. you are a salesman <laughs> believe me uh pizza um you did time in the military and um so if you didn't uh if you didn't go into your uh, in, into your esteemed hockey career, um, would you have would you have stayed in the military? Would you have been a career, uh, made a career in the military?
3: Out of the military after four years, uh, that was a lot of fun, but I didn't really want to. I didn't think I wanted to be put to twenty years in. But uh, hands down, a fisherman, you know. Um, and I think that I chose something I love to do, I love to fish, but I also love hockey so much that, uh, you know, I laid it on the line and quit that military job and someone gave me a chance. I think that's what all of us have in common in our game is that, you know, everybody works hard. Everybody does a good job. Everybody's pretty much equal when they get to the levels that we are at. However, it's someone's, someone along the way gives you a chance whether it be one person or two people uh you know i was real fortunate to have my trainer george army gave me a chance uh and without that chance from george i never would have been able to have it grow frank christie recommended me for the job in springfield uh just, just uh you know we all need someone i think that's important to to mention
1: absolutely and and um and you, you nailed it, Pete, because there's, there's people that, uh, you know, I think of, uh, people in, in, uh, in my career that, that were really in, influential with me and, and, and I have to say Al McNeil, Al Coates, and, uh, and, uh, uh, uh Cliff Fletcher, the three of them, uh, they, they kind of believed in me. I, I was, uh, you know, sometimes would hit that fork in the road, and I'd make that right-hand turn, and one of those guys would have me by the throat. He'd pull me back and say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you know, you're not going down that road." And yeah. uh, you know, I spent 15 years in their in their minor league system, and then um, you know, a few years up top, and and just. You know, absolutely. They were, they were just great people. And, and uh, I found out too, that, uh, you know, being in the game this long too, I look back to the, you know, the seventies and the eighties and, and, and the camaraderie and the things uh, that, uh, you know, happened back then and uh, compared to today, it's, it's big business today. And, uh, you know, you've got to kind of, uh create your own sort of environment, uh, within your training staff and that, because you got your coaches that, uh, you know, they got the, the results driven and they're, uh, they they've got their thing to do and, and, uh, you know, the players are going their way and, uh, and, and uh, the trainers end up going their way back in the day we were all together, but, uh, Pete, um, you've got so many career highlights, um, but uh, I do want, I want you to uh, share with, uh, with all our listeners about that time back uh, when, uh, when Wayne Gretzky uh, came to the Kings and, and, and he did change the face of the Kings. And, and in fact, even, uh, you know, you went from the, the, the gold uh, jerseys to the black and white. So can, can you tell us uh, how it was in your world then? We got Barry Stafford's word a few months back, but how was it in your world?
3: It was uh, amazing. It was, you know, like, you know, how we call it dog and pony show, but uh, you know, we have 8,000 people in the rink and for games and no one, and, and most of the time they'd be rooting for the other team. And uh, then Gretz came and it was just turned everything around and everybody came out. It was still Hollywood every night in the locker room and yeah, it was pretty exciting. And, you know, I, I remember... I've been a hockey fan my whole life. We're, we're all as, we're in this biz- business because we're, we're hockey fans as trainees and equipment managers. We're not in there for the money, that's for sure. But I remember when Wayne came to training camp, he, he uh, after a couple of days, he came into, um, the, into the training room and he had a little, like a paper cut on his finger. And, and uh, so I put a Band-Aid on it. And when he walked out, I mean, I almost had tears in my eyes. I said, that's Wayne Gretzky. I just put a Band-Aid on his, on his finger. So it just goes to show you how, how much of a love for the game that we have. And we're so fortunate to have have Wayne on our team. And, uh, and night after night after night, he'd do stuff that, you know, you could line some things up in uh, – in the hallway and then look down and only you could see that from the bench or on the ice, you could line up all different things, but there was a spot where the puck would go, but only you could see it from where you were sitting, standing on the bench, but Wayne saw it. And that's where he put the puck night after night. And you'd say, how did he do that? He'd go behind the net and throw the puck out and hit it off someone's shin pad. And he'd do that all the time. He'd go across the blue line and stop, make a little spin. And he, and it was, Every day, every game, he did that same move, but they were afraid to go at him because the, you know, their jockstrap would be in the
2: stands.
3: (laughs) So it was a great experience and fun because I have the record for seeing more bad hockey than anyone in the history of the league.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. I was in Pittsburgh. (laughs)
3: It was a lot lot of tough nights, but uh, yeah, he made it all happen in L.A. and uh, I'm fortunate that uh, I, I was one of his trainers.
1: Well, you know, Pete, and, and you, uh, you said it best when you talked about your crowds of uh, 8,000 and so on and so forth. And uh, I remember back in 67 when the NHL expanded from 6 to 12 teams, and they were putting a team in Los Angeles. And the owner at the time was a gentleman named Jack Kent Cook. And the Canadian media had, had asked him, they, they, they were flabbergasted, Is, is how, how do you think hockey is going to work? in a place like LA and and Mr. Cook had said there are 50,000 Canadians that transplanted to LA that's how hockey's going to work here and after yeah. the first year of some paltry attendance of 5 to 6,000 a game the media went back to him and said well, what about those 50,000 people he goes they must have moved here because they hate hockey he said so it was a great line out of Mr. Cook and I know that uh, that uh, you have uh, you have gone through some different owners there, and uh, and you you were there, uh, you know, on 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 the lean times and on the great times. Is there a low point? Is there a low point in your career that you want to share with us? I mean, look, we're all on here laughing and having fun and hearing some great stories, but you know, there are some tough times out there too. So, so Peter, is there a low point that? Uh, I think that uh,
3: I don't. You know what? Um, It was fun to go to work every day and it started in Providence. When we'd play on a Sunday night, I couldn't wait to go in the rink in the morning when the beer and the popcorn smell and go in the locker room and clean up or whatever I was doing. And, uh, and then you, but I was low man on the totem pole when I came to LA. And uh, in fact, I had training camp in Victoria, Mr. When Mr. Cook came, I would bring him the paper at nine at five o'clock in the morning up to his room, and then and then I would uh, take his dog Coco for a walk uh, every morning while Mr. Cook was there. I was low man on a totem pole, but there's no there's no low point in my career. It was fun to go to work every day. I'm appreciative. There were, you know, there were twenty jobs when I started, and uh, I had one and. Uh, so I'm thankful.
1: Well, you know, and that's great. It's great that you brought that up too about, uh, you know, some of the things, uh, I know, uh, um, uh, Bobby Stewart, God rest his soul. Bobby had some great stories about when he started out in, uh, in uh, Montreal with uh, with Phil Langlois uh, as uh, one of the other trainers, and they were with the Junior Canadians and in the off season, they were painting Sam Pollock's uh, apartment or some of his rental units and things like that. And um, I didn't really get a drift of of all of that because but but until one day. Uh, Bobby Francis uh, come put his hand on my shoulder, we were having this uh, big dinner, fundraising dinner in Salt Lake City, and Mr. Hotchkiss, Harley Hotchkiss, the uh, principal owner of the Calgary Flames, was coming in on his private jet, and Bobby had said to me, I need you to take my car and pick Harley up at the airport and take him over to the Marriott. And I said, yeah, I can do that. And I figured, hey, what a great time to meet the owner of the Calgary Flames and, and make an impression. So... Uh, I pull up to a place, it's called Millionaire, where his plane came in, it's just so only fitting. And Mr. Hotchkiss gets off his plane and I'm, I've got the car all clean, ready for him. I introduce myself, I said, hello, Mr. Hotchkiss, I'm Brian Pataffi, I'm the, I'm the head trainer of your number one farm club. And he goes, he goes, you know, Brian, you and I got something in common. And I was just all pumped and, and I said, what's that, sir? And he goes, well, we've both gone as far as we possibly can in the Flames organization. And it gets in my car. Well, I, I was devastated, Pete. Well, we got pr- halfway to the Marriott and he turned to me. He goes, Cliff told me that you were gonna come up and introduce yourself and have the car shining. And he goes, he goes, he was dead on. And he told me I had to say that. I said, Well, who works for who here? <laughs> but uh, but you're right. We do uh we do have to do a lot of different things. Um, the best part of uh of uh, my job description. Uh, when I had asked Brian Kilray, my first job, I had asked Brian Kilray, can you give me a, a a copy of my job description? He handed me a paper that said, your job description is to do what I tell you. <laughs> so, and and it's true. And so Beaker, uh, what about you? Career highlights, you've won a bunch of Calder Cups. Um, you know, you spent a couple of years in the National League. Um, like, but uh, give us a highlight. There's got to be one in those bunch of years that you've been at that that, that really stands out.
2: Yeah. You know what? I could say the first one we won um, in 86-87, we went 12-0. And, 0. and uh, there, that, that group still, to me, um, were tight from Mitch Lamoureux to Al Hill, Ross Fitzpatrick, Wendell Young, Kevin McCarthy. I mean, these names – um for me are uh it's you know you, you always remember your first one and uh just thinking being in freddie beach with wendell young till 2 30 in the morning and then you come out the next day and he, he beats him right on the ice and you know it, it, there's just so many great stories that i could say but you know what you always remember your first win and then but what happens is after you first year you, you win your first championship uh brian is is you actually the next one you remember like you know what Let's do this. Like introduce the family members. Bring bring other people. So because there's a lot of people that, of course, sacrifice a lot of time away. You're away from your families. You're away from you know graduations, birthday parties. So I think after the first one, you kind of bring in other people to actually have them uh, celebrate that special time too. So it's uh, definitely those are the highlights of winning the championships. And then of course the low times. There's a lot of things that uh, you know what when we were in Adirondack in '86 when we lost, and that's when my mom passed away. She had Parkinson, so she had she was ill for a long period of time. I remember John Paddock uh, uh, come to my room at the Queensbury Hotel in Glen Falls, right? And Frank Mathers called him and uh, told him about my mom passing away. So I think that w- that time right there would be probably be the time that you always think, you know what, because like Pete says, you know what, we, we all have opportunity, you know, that you always, uh, you always take advantage of those opportunities. And that's where we're here today. You know, we all had someone to give us that opportunity. And that's what, and we love caring for people. Um, my mom, she rode ambulance back in the days, in the seventies, and always seen the comfort level she gave the people. And uh, you know, and that's how I felt. You know, I always love giving comfort level to people, and that's why I, we're all here today. Uh, but going those highlights again is, is of course, not only taking care of people, but I think winning that first championship, right? And uh, after that, man, it's it's uh, it's a blessing, and and uh, it's uh, we're I'm very fortunate and very lucky to be where I'm at today.
1: Thank you, and well said, my friend Steve Westman, Swiss. Um, you. Um, swish you 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 clawed and you climbed and you got pushed back we talked about it earlier and you got knocked down and you were going after that uh yeah you know we we call it the brass ring getting to the national league not everybody gets there and uh in in whether you're a player a coach or or a trainer or equipment manager you know radio broadcasters, everybody's kind of shooting for that and um and it's there for somebody, and they make great careers out of it. And then others get there and go, "Hey, gee, this isn't quite what I expected." Swish, you, you, you really climbed at things, and and you did reach the pinnacle. So, but tell us what what's your career highlight, and and if you have a low point uh, that you want to share with us as well.
4: I got one for Beaker, though. My career highlight used to be coming to Hershey at three in the morning and have the big pile of Hershey's right in the center (laughs) of the table. (laughs) No, I I think, you know, my career highlights, I, I, the old IHL was probably my favorite times I worked. I mean, that was, it was basically back, and you remember, it was a mini NHL.
0: It was, yeah.
4: Yeah teams teams were coming into the league and the owners were getting big bucks for them coming in because i know the one year like uh when uh, phoenix was in the league the Roadrunners and then the coyotes came to town they were offered eight or eight or nine million dollars for that franchise and then the next year it wasn't worth a dime yeah so when the IHL when it finally shut down, that was probably a low time for me. But you know, I I had went back up and then uh, worked in uh, St. Louis for I can't remember. Uh, my memory's kind of off, so pardon me. All uh, of ours. What's that? All of ours, buddy. Yeah, all oh.
1: of them. Yeah, it's
0: called sometimes. Around a few times.
1: <laughs> the second thing to go, Beek.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh,
1: What's the first? uh, We'll just leave it at that.
4: (laughs) was in St. Louis, uh, left there, and uh, I went back home. My wife's wife's father passed away, so we went back home. Originally, we were going to move down to Florida, and we didn't, so I went back to Fort Wayne and another legend, Joe 1-0 Joe Franke. I he got the job back there again, and I talked with him and worked there. But the highlight, probably my biggest highlight, was when they won the championship because that was the only one I ever won in my career. We were most of the teams I were on were lucky to make the playoffs. So
1: okay, well then, Dooley, uh, doing another uh, uh, great career, two different places in the NHL. Uh, give us your highlight and give us your low point, please.
0: Oh, well, the highlight that's ironic, you spend 15 or 14 years with the Penguins and go to the uh, Islanders in 90. Penguins win the Stanley Cup in 91, 92. So we, all the, the alumni from the Penguins that were with me, you know, we laid the groundwork. But then in 92, I sort of got some sweet revenge when we beat them in game seven uh, in the Civic Arena in overtime. And uh, so that was quite a highlight for me, going, going back to Pittsburgh and, you know, sort of saying here, you know, the middle finger up in the air going here, you know.
2: Who scored? Yeah. Who scored, Johnny? Who scored? David Vollick. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, we had
0: that, and another highlight was some of the coaches, and we all say this, you know, but to work with Al Arbor, unbelievable. I mean... He was just something else, Uh, had some great one-liners, but with Al, you knew one thing. If he came in and said, "Duels," everything's fine. If he said, John, you know, maybe something's going on. But if he walked in and said, Mr. Doolin, your ass was in the fire for sure. He was pissed at you. So working with him, I had the fortune. We all have had some great coaches. Red Kelly was my first coach in Pittsburgh. Uh, I think a low point for me was the morning I found out Timmy Horton had been killed in a car accident. Uh, He came to Pittsburgh for the one year that I was there and uh, he sort of adopted me as a son that he never had. And on the road at home, it was what time, you know, what time you coming back from the rink today? Okay. I'll meet in the lobby at five for dinner. You know, he was just a, you know, the persona of a true professional
2: at 42 years old and as strong as a bear. And, and Johnny, you said Tim Horton? Yes. Wow, that was uh, Frank Mathers, RGM. That was his best man. Um, Frank was his best man at his wedding. Wow. Yeah. Very crazy, man.
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, he was, uh, you talk about guys that are strong. He, he never fought. He just put a guy in a bear hug. I saw him pick up Mickey Redmond one night. And just put him in a bear hug and basically took the air out of him. Mickey just went limp on him. Yeah, Just strong man. Strong, strong man. Yeah.
1: It was a sad day in hockey. It, it really was. I remember uh, reading about that. I was actually going to school uh, or getting ready to go to school and Saint Catharines, Ontario, and it happened, uh, you know, just outside of there. Well, you know what? We talk about, uh, you know, w- what a great panel we have up here. We got a great panel watching right now. We got to say hello and shout out to Bob Halfacres watching, and uh, and I, I know he's a friendly face in uh, in L.A. Pete knows him. Billy Welker in Huntsville, Alabama. John Jukic, uh, probably one of the best visiting team guys in the world, is That's watching. Just in the world. It just lives up the world, uh, road for me. Rob Gagne is watching and Peaches, Mark Brennan, another Hall of Famer, is uh, hey. tuning in. So so thanks for coming on, guys. You're making my numbers go up. And uh, <laughs> so, Julie, uh, I do have to ask you, and, and uh, uh, you know, you've worked in a few different cities. What's your favorite? Uh, take out the two National League teams, but uh, outside of the National League.
0: Oh, San Antonio. Avik, you've probably been there with the American League at San Antonio. I mean, you got the Riverwalk. We used to call – I call, I nicknamed the Riverwalk the seventh man because we would play that Friday, Saturday at home games. And, you know, whatever happened Friday night, those teams would go on the Riverwalk. Well, Saturday, we, we probably had one of the best records on the second night of a game in the league because – visiting teams just hit that river walk till two or three in the morning and you know it was all done but yeah just a great city great people first class organization with the spurs and uh you know well okay so uh Dooley, we got you on the screen here And the other
1: guys i want you to think uh think back here you don't need to throw anybody under the bus but pranks uh, back in the day were always a big part <laughs> of what went on in the locker room. And a lot of times, um, if it happened uh, in my organization, all o- eyes pointed at me. Uh, and half the time I wasn't guilty. But because I was involved the other half time, uh, that, you know, every time they looked at me like I was guilty. John Doolin, one of the best pranks ever. Tell us.
0: Christmas party. We took this one to the ladies that night. Uh now it's so into the party. A couple of guys, myself, snuck into the kitchen, got the saran wrap, and went in the ladies' room and lifted the seat, saran wrapped the bowl, put the seat back down, grabbed our beer, stood outside the door and waited for the responses. It was beautiful. You know. Ha ah, ah, ha, you son of a bitches. You I'm gonna get you when you get home and all <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Pete
1: DeMers, long time in the game. You must have seen some good ones. I've
3: seen some good ones, yeah. Performed on me. <laughs> <laughs> One night we're in Edmonton, and um, I always watch out for the shoe check for myself. And um, so somebody kind of gave me a wink of the eye that someone was under there. under the. So I took a salad dressing, a whole bowl, and I threw it under there. It was Marty McSorley. It <laughs> went in his eyes. And what turned out to be what was started as a joke was, was we were going to call 911 because he couldn't see. Oh. He didn't bother me after that. <laughs> well, but <laughs> so we had, to, I'll just tell you this other quick story. In Victoria training camp, this was like in the 70s. Rogi Vashan was there. And uh Randy Rhoda and Don Kozak. So behind the rink players would go up and run around this big rock pile that was behind the rink. And uh, so they decided to dress Rogie up in a sweatsuit and they were gonna have a race between him and Don Kozak running around this rock, big rock pile. And so they dressed up Randy Rhoda to look just like Rogie, And so they'd start to run around the thing and ro- and and uh Randy uh Don Kozak was always in the lead and and Rogie was fresh all the time cuz he'd only run a half a lap and then and then Randy would run behind him but in the end near, right down to the last lap Rogie Don Kozak's exhausted and Rogie ran right past him and won the race <laughs> Don Kozak collapsed <laughs> out to be that was kind of a scary thing we had to carry him into the locker room and and cool him down and he was so disappointed but then we had to tell him what happened so <laughs> that was a good one but there's hundreds we all have oh yeah oh, yeah, oh, yeah. and stories and, we can't tell that'll be in the book after uh swiss has me in a funeral home we'll, we'll uh <laughs> we'll put the book we'll come out with all those stories yeah, yeah.
1: How about you, Beek? Uh, I I just just that shit-eating grin on your face. I know that uh, you're in the middle of a lot of them, but uh, but the uh, best Frank
2: you've seen in the day. You know what? Thinking about I think of all the shit that we have going on here, right? All the people we we're talking to and all the people online. You know, Kangaroo Court was first of all. Let, let's let's talk about Kangaroo Court someday too, because Kangaroo Court in the old days, uh, what you can get get you know get away with today or back in the day. But um, think, think about prank, I mean, I, I'm just, without getting in depth of anybody getting in trouble, but um, in the training room, we have a Peruvian bath, right? It's a hot wax uh, where the guys dip their, their hands in the wax. Uh, but as trainers, we love our donuts. So we'd always put the donuts out near the coffee, coffee pot. And uh, we'd always have press back in the day where guys would come in and take the thundering trainers donuts and we were always like, you know, who the hell is taking their donuts? We'd always have that guy, that that press guy, taking the donuts. So um, there's that. That's just that time I got plain donuts and I actually dipped them in the Bavarian bath <laughs> <laughs> and put them on the put them back in the box. And uh, I'll be damned; it would be the last time that guy ever took a donut from one of us. So <laughs> it's just one of those deals that you you had. But that's just one of the of the, of the few, right? No,
1: that's a classic though. That's a classic. Before we jump over to Swiss, I, I got to share this one because the king of pranks uh, and and it's well documented is Gila point. And when, when I was in Calgary, Gila point was our assistant coach and he would do things that, and, and his pranks like, like they hurt sometime. Like he would wait for me to put my do not disturb on my door and then he would fill out the thing for breakfast, you know, where you can hang it on your door, but he would order everything and he would hang it on my door to be delivered at 6 a.m. So I would get a knock at 6 a.m. and I was just like, like, you know, didn't know where I went. I couldn't couldn't even figure what city I was in. I go, yeah. And the guy goes, room service. And I go, room service? I didn't order any room service. He goes, yeah. you left thing on your door. I got, I got your food here. And I opened the door and I look in this guy's guy. It's on wheels. The tray he brought is on wheels. Now I got a $191 incidental bill with this guy because he ordered everything bagels and walks, omelets, you know, everything. So, you know, I had to get even with him. I had to get even with him. So the thing was Gila would come in on game day and he'd come in in a suit. Uh, and then he'd hang his suit up and he would go up morning skate and then he'd break down video and he'd have his lunch catered to him but he'd always go in the steam room right after practice for a good 40 minutes and so anyway he was in the steam room and Jamie Huscroft told went in the steam room told Gee, he goes hey man Pataf's coming around the corner and he's got a bucket of water he's gonna nail you and Guy says great Gee grabbed the the hose that we clean the steam room with got a high powered nozzle comes out. I come walking around the corner. I'm carrying an empty bucket and Gia's is hosing me down head to toe and everybody is laughing and I'm not moving. And then Guy realizes I've got his clothes on. I had his suit, shirt, tie, right down to the boxers. Now we're not talking something from tip top off the rack. And why Gee didn't figure it out, because Gee is six foot whatever, I'm 5'8", and, and the sleeves were hanging down, but he just continued to hose me. Then when he realized it, he chased me naked through the locker room, and I had to lock myself in my office, and he wasn't going to move. And the office of the, the trainer's office in Calgary had windows that looked into the training room. And Lapointe's out there and he's got his arms crossed. He's not going to move. I had to call our GM, Doug Riseboro, to come downstairs and, and kind of, and, and Riser and Coates came down and said, okay, that's the end of it. That The two of you, that is the end of it. Because it just kept going further and further and further. But I'll tell you what, I was there another two years and just looking over my shoulder all the time at Gee because he, he was not happy. But, Swiss, you've seen a few, I'm sure. What's your favorite? Uh,
4: my favorite is, we all know, between periods, a magic call is five minutes. Players always want to know when there's five minutes. So I'd always come in the room. The players that were there knew it, but there'd be you guys. I'd come in the room, five minutes.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: <laughs> they, yeah. they, they'd look at the clock and Said, there's six i'm like no there's five minutes count One, two, three,
1: four, five.
4: Oh, you know
1: <laughs> i i would uh and, and just add on to that you know, the same thing when you know i injured my right hand and i would come in and i'd go yeah like that and the guys would go four and a half boys so it, well, uh, did,
4: if, if anybody remembers in san jose they had there was uh was off the training room area there across the hall when they built a new room across there was a white cabinet in there and everybody it used to be like in quebec where people would write up on the ceilings mm-hmm. so i took my hand and traced it guess who's here <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. well you know travel is a big part uh, of uh, of this incredible game and we all get to see some great places visit some wonderful cities and and i know peter you've uh, been on the international travel scene with with um you know, not only with the Kings, but with, with Team USA and, and everything else. But um, we all have travel fails. You know, we have, um, you know, whether, you know, we're stuck on a bus or buses break down or, or uh, you know, all kinds of things. Um, I remember um, the uh, Florida Panthers uh, one time where their plane um, froze up in Edmonton. And um Les Jarvis who drove the truck, uh Peaches called Les and Les goes, No, I'm not driving to Edmonton. And I go, I go, well Les, what what why aren't you driving to Edmonton? He goes, It's not worth the five hundred dollars. I said, five hundred dollars. I couldn't get in that truck quick enough. And drove to Edmonton and picked them all up. But, you know, because, because Peach is the kind of guy, he wanted to get in ahead of the team and have everything ready. And when they got in the next day to practice. But but travel fails, uh, uh, Swiss. What what sticks out in your mind?
4: Travel fails?
1: Yeah, like like the, the worst travel experience, I guess. Uh, anyway.
4: Oh, boy, there's too many to remember. <laughs> remember in Fort Wayne, though, back in the day, we were going around Flint, Michigan, we did a 180 in a bus. Yeah, that
1: yeah, that's not fun. That's no. not fun. Yeah, oh I've God. been through, oh, through a few of those. I Johnny do, have, Doolin. To bring, I do have to
4: bring a Salt Lake story up, though.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> Johnny Doolin.
4: Yo. Worst travel know. experience Can in I all of them. Can I bring happened. up one more? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. In Salt Lake City. I don't know if you remember this. I'm sure you will when I tell the oh, story. I, do. I know exactly what you We talking. played, we both played in Phoenix that night. The next day we both flew back to Salt Lake to play. And that's when you guys had the old Coke van. So yeah. two teams couldn't fit in the van. So Ernie borrowed the catering truck. <laughs> he's driving through the airport, he's got all the gear in there, goes, takes a 15-foot truck underneath a 10-foot awning and Right in the airport, but the best part is need the team to practice. So it worked out great.
1: Yeah, it, it was. That was, I remember that because Ernie goes, uh, I said, because I had said to Ernie, I said, Ernie, like, we're both coming on the same flight. So I said, just get all the bags in and, and then come back for the trunks. I said, because we get the bags over. We can, we can start our practices. And he goes, oh, he goes, I've got it taken care of. I borrowed the catering truck, which is a box van. We didn't have a box van. No. And yeah, he took it under one of the jetways and, and yes. ripped the whole top off and We could see the bags in the rear view mirror as we're driving to the south, south. We could see them sticking out of the top of the truck. The worst part was he had to go to catering and explain what happened.
0: But uh, Dooley, uh, so... Yeah, well, you know, like Swift says, there's so many. Uh, I think we all were, were or still are so conscious of losing a piece of equipment, you know, that one bag or that one trunk or whatever. And for to some extent, that's one reason why I retired. Is in the East Coast League, you didn't have check-in. The guys each had to check their own bag in at the airport. And then when you got to the other end, You you know, they had they they would take them off the belt. Like there was no truck, they came off the belt, put them on the bus, and go to the rink. So you never knew. If I left Bakersfield, and in my mind says, okay, I've got forty-seven pieces. Well, until I counted them all, wherever I was getting to, I didn't know if I had everything. We went in the anchorage the one year, and got everything in the room and the guys are coming for practice and I'm missing one bag, the goalie's bag. Uh-oh. I mean, yeah. You know, I mean, I had a great coach in Bakersfield and he said, yeah, he needs the day off anyways, you know, but now trying to track that thing down with Alaska air, is it in Seattle? Did it ever get out L El- because we used to bus from Bakersfield two and a half hours to LAX, fly to Seattle, Seattle to Anchorage. Oh, that bag could be anywhere you know and they did find it was on the next flight from seattle and you know but the, the airline you know it's not like the the old days even when we flew commercial back in the old days they they sort of took care of us the airlines
1: well yeah it, it was pre-9-11 uh, you know i i remember yeah. many times in in salt lake that uh that uh bobby stewart would would just hey he goes i put put two dozen sticks on Delta flight, whatever. And, you know, Ernie and I would, you know, run to the airport and get them, just pull them off the, uh, off the beltway. And, and, uh, and, um, but uh, uh, yeah, things changed and, and um, you know, like everybody checking their own bag and having to sign that nobody packed it for them and, and so on and so forth. A, a good story though, uh, Um And uh, what about you uh, Beak?
2: Yeah. Uh- going back to the flyers when i was the uh, the assistant equipment manager with kurt Munt, uh Sudsy came to me where in vorhees and uh edmonton was coming in and uh their bus broke down so uh they came to me goes hey go get your box truck and uh go to the Seven Eleven there in the town of vorhees and i went over there and and uh, I piled all the Oilers in the back of my uh, back of the box truck, and uh, Coffee Gretzky and I think Grant Fear, they they came in the front of me uh, with with me. So I think that was the first time really. I- you know, I'm I'm a guy that uh, come from Hershey, uh, back in '84, not knowing all the superstars nowadays who they are, but I think that's one of my great moments. Of course, travel failures, but uh, very genuine uh, when I when they beat us, of course, in Edmonton uh Gretzky gave me an autograph stick you know thanking me for doing that so going back to never knowing the guy but the appreciation of what hockey players of of, uh, of course professionalism right you go you think of all baseball uh football you hear all these stories but just thinking about what uh what, what hockey players are they're so professional and uh very humble
4: yeah, yeah
2: that, that was one of the one of the best ones. Of course we all have them where a bus breaks down and we're trying to help uh break or help fix the the bus and I already drove the bus. So um those are those are for uh, stories after we uh cancel our recent uh bus company's contract. I can tell that one. Okay.
1: <laughs> how about you Pete? You've been uh, all over the globe with hockey. So how about you uh anything? No, I, you know there's hundreds
3: in Moscow we got we flew on a commercial airliner, and they, they couldn't fit the gear under the plane, so they put it down the middle of the aisle, and there's people climbing over it. And, but uh, a travel nightmare would be when we played in Quebec. The Kings played in Quebec. Uh, our coach, Bob Pulford, from my first five years in L.A., we'd play the game, finish up about 10, 10.30, hang the gear. We'd go down there at 2 o'clock in the morning, 2.30, pack the gear up, throw it in the truck go to the go to the airport actually we'd go to the we'd put the gear in and there was no truck then at that time of the morning so we would put the gear in a school bus a yellow orange school bus that's what took us took the used to take the teams to the airport no regular big bus was it five, a short five bus five <laughs> o'clock we'd go to uh go back Jerry's to the kids then Toronto to L.A. We would get in at 10 o'clock in the morning, and every time Bob Pulford would call a practice, and after we've been up, you know, after you know, even the players, all that time in wet gear, and and uh, that was a, every time we went to Quebec and we flew back to L.A. from there, it was a long, long day already. And then he, he'd make everybody go on the ice, but That's then after months. that, they'd be in the bar at uh, one o'clock for the rest of the day. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I remember, um, we had to, we had to win out. We had to win in a Thursday night in Chicago and Saturday night in uh, Toronto to make the playoffs. And we got absolutely waxed in Toronto five or six one. We got a charter afterwards and it's bad enough that when you charter out of Chicago to Toronto, because of the curfew, we had to land in Hamilton and, um, Anyway, uh, as we're taxiing down the runway, Pierre Page, our our head coach at the time, stands up. And we've we've been eliminated. Like, like we're not going to make the playoffs. Stands up on the front of the plane. And we'd lost that hour going in. And he goes, we're practicing 11 a.m. at, you know, whatever rink, right? And Ronnie Stern yells from the back, why? Like this, you know. It's it's. You know, 4 o'clock in the morning, We and and Pierre's ins- insisting on 11 a.m. Uh, practice. I I had to ride on the bus to the hotel. Bobby went with the truck, and um, uh, I had to borrow a cell phone back then. Uh, you know, they were just coming out and everything else, because James Patrick, uh, Ron Stern, Theo Fleury uh, convinced Pierre, we did not need to practice. We had one game left for the season there was no reason to go to practice so i called bobby and i said look at just take the stuff right to the gardens uh we're not practicing tomorrow but we are going to morning skate on on saturday so bobby took the stuff right to the the gardens well unbeknownst to us pierre took a cab to the practice rate because he wanted to ride the bike and we're (laughs) laying in our beds in the hotel and all the coaches gear is over at Maple Leaf Gardens and everything else and and we got an earful about it that night and it was like one of the players came by and said ah, don't worry about that you know but it, it was like uh uh I think that was just just those kind of things and like you said Mr. Bulford and it's a mental makeup of coaches sometimes because you know like like Pete you know this we got we got to grab a nap anytime we can because, you know, we're, we're putting in these all-nighters and everything else. So when we get on the plane, you know, or we're on the bus or, you know, even a, an hour in the hotel, we got to grab that nap. But boy, oh boy, they'll call these practices for days. And, not you know, I've seen it in, in Florida when the practice rink was an hour away from the main rink. And we came from Hartford on a charter and, and, and we had a noon hour practice the next day. Bobby and I, we went with the truck along with the massage guy. There was only the three of us at the time. We went with the truck and we stayed at the practice rink. Nobody told us Pierre canceled the practice on the bus oh. on the way to the hotel. So we mm-hmm. stayed at the practice rink till 1230 and finally the Zamboni guy come by and he goes, Did you not know your practice was canceled today? It was just like we were all night, just you know, but uh, we could go on and on and on for hours about that. I got to do a little bit of housekeeping here. And guys, uh, let me tell you, you can see behind me is our major sponsor uh, for this podcast is uh, Shem, source for sports, a big chain here in Canada. And every time we have a guest on, a guest gives up their time to come on, Shem makes a donation in your name to underprivileged kids here in the Fraser Valley. Uh, They give them gift cards. They give them sporting goods equipment. They pay their tuition for baseball, hockey, basketball, whatever. So Pete, John, uh, Beaker, and Swiss, in your name, some kids underprivileged here are going to get taken care of in, in, uh, to to play the sports. They're going to get their apparel. They're going to get their shoes, whatever they need because of our great sponsors at, uh, at Shemp. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up in a minute. Uh, one of the things I want to go, and we're going to start with you, Dooley, um, back in the day before guys and Peter, I mean this in all sincerity, yourself and Buzz, uh, uh, were two guys that really went to bat for us. Peter, I have to say this. Uh, as a guy myself who spent most of the time uh, uh, most of my career in the minor leagues of junior hockey when I would go to the meetings I was intimidated i was a little bit aw- in awe but I was intimidated but you always had time for guys like myself and and minor league guys and that and and that that didn't go unnoticed. And, and I, I want to take this time right now to thank you for that. You are okay. one of the good guys in the game and you are one of the guys who created uh, the environment for us and whether you went to the National League people or American League people, but between you and Buzzy, you turned our winter job into a career. And and uh, And most of us at one point uh, you know, we're, we're paid year round. Uh, and that never happened when I first got into the game it was two weeks before the season to two weeks after the season. And thank you for that, Pete. So I want to ask you guys, we'll start with you, John, you're off seasons before, uh, you were fortunate enough to get uh, that paycheck all year long. Uh,
0: what did you do? I, uh, I actually only worked one summer. I, I go to school. I, you know, went as an adult student and yes. went to school got my business degree. And uh, then after that, uh, I, I, I worked the system. I was uh, laid off, basically laid off, the lack of work. So I collected the pokey. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, you know I mean, a, lot you, a
1: lot of guys did. You know, yeah. and what management didn't understand. And, and, and you know, I had to explain it later in my career. Like when I went to the the East Coast League and, and, uh, and the owner of the team said, I'm going to pay you this much uh, a week, um, you know, two weeks before, two weeks after. I said, you know, it's a pretty good chunk. I said, okay, why don't you just spread that out? Take that total amount and spread it out over 52 weeks. And he goes, well, why would you do that? And I said, budgeting purposes. I said, my wife works. She's a nurse. And I said, I'd like to get a paycheck year round. Okay, we'll do that. Well, you know what? Mistake on my part, because he'd be calling me the middle of July to come down and do something, you know, where, but, uh, but um, how about you, Swiss? What did you do in your off seasons? Did a lot
4: of construction work. Uh, did tons of, tons of construction, remodel, still do it today. Love doing it. So.
2: But and, and Beaker, what about yourself? You know what, in Hershey, buddy, we have Hershey Park. So um, as a trainer for the Hershey Bears, I was also the trainer for, uh, we had performers, dancers in uh, Hershey Park. So I went, went from Hershey Bears from stud to stud muffins um, and taking care of injuries. So taking care of washing uh, Under Armour to uh, washing Fruit of the Loom. So it's uh, definitely, uh, it was definitely a treat. But you know what? That's one thing Hershey did. They were very loyal to me. And uh, I, I looked after that, so uh, yeah, I worked for Wally World for sure. Well, and, and that
1: was amazing because my wife and I were coming through one time, and I gave you a call, and you know, you had the passes for us. We did the Hershey Park, and, and uh, yeah, you were taking care of the little kisses that were dancing out there, and, and everything it. else. And That's a great gig. That's a, that's a real oh great yeah gig.
2: very fortunate man. Yep,
1: yeah, because yeah. it's a, it's a, it's part of Herco. So obviously yeah. you're vested in a, in a pension and, yep. and everything else. So that I, 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 man, I, I, if I could go back and start over I, yeah yeah, yeah. Be <laughs> How about you, Pete? Um, uh, you, you, left the military, you took, took the job in, in Rhode Island. What did you do in your off seasons before you, uh, became a year round employee?
3: Well, fishing, you know, I, two weeks after the season, you know, um, we'd get paid a salary during the season. In fact, my first year in LA, $8,000 and, uh, for the season. And then you get $150 a week for two weeks before the season and two weeks after the season. And, uh, then we'd hightail it right back to Rhode Island and, uh, move in with mom and dad. And, and I would, uh, get my boat out and I would be fishing every day. And, uh, selling my fish wow. but then the, then it all changed in the last uh probably 15 years or so as a full-time job uh, that you have to be around all the time but you, you know you're compensated compensation is better but it's still uh, 18-hour day work days during the season and uh, that's one thing that uh I don't know maybe because there's a lot of staff now you can Guys can unwind, but you need to decompress. And, uh, and I don't know if they've really allowed for that because a full-time job now, 12 months.
1: Yeah. You know, I've, I've seen it at, you know, at PHAS when we're at our convention, I've seen guys, you know, like, like, uh, say, Hey, uh, you know, you going to the show. No, I got not leave. we got a rookie camp starting the day after tomorrow. So I got to fly back. I just had to come here to do this, this, and this, and, you know, in rookie camps and bringing guys in, I remember, uh, talking to Pete Friesen and the uh, peaches lived up the road or lives up the road for me in, in uh, Raleigh. When I, when I'm home in Jamestown in the summer, and Pete was telling me, um, you know, they brought in all the rookies for a week. They didn't put them on the ice. They, they put them in the gym, but they put them in like apartments and sent them grocery shopping and things like that. They were teaching them life skills. And Pete had to be around for that. Uh, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's uh, amazing. Um, you know, there's all these different employees now. We've got uh, everything from uh, sports psychologists to nutritionists to everything, and everybody's kind of got their fingers in the pie. And um, and it's uh, yeah, you're right. It it you don't get that decompressing time. So anyway, guys, uh, gee, I hate this part of the uh, broadcast when I gotta say goodbye. First of all, we're gonna say goodbye to our listeners. But I want you guys to stay online with me uh, after uh, after Haley takes us off live. Everybody, we have been with some of the greatest Pete Demers with the LA Kings, John Doolin, who was with the uh, Penguins and the New York Islanders, Dan Stuck, who spent a long, long time in Hershey, Pennsylvania, also did some time with the Philadelphia Flyers, and Steve Wisman, who had finished up his career with the St. Louis Blues. All these guys. Are from back in the day started out uh in the minors worked their way up and they're all tremendous guys uh, this has been a lot of fun for me all four of you guys thank you for coming on uh haley i ask you to take us off live so we can uh, we can tell some lies for a minute
3: thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of live with taff hosted by brian buttaffy produced by haley ferguson Make sure you keep in touch by following us on Twitter at B and at Haley Fergs. And head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next
4: week.